Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Diana Wiley. I am your host of Love, Lust, and Laughter. Dr. Lori Buckley returns to be my first guest in 2022. We're going to talk about her book, 21 Decisions uh, for Great Sex and a Happy Relationship. Um, But before we do... I mean, that's decisions, the new year, right? This is very appropriate. But before we do, we're going to talk about Betty White. And this is also timely because she died at 99, as most everybody knows, on New Year's Eve. And Betty's advice and her wisdom and her sunny outlook were examples of good decisions. And Lori, Dr. Buckley, writes about decisions that she has made, and um, yeah, she she made a lot of good decisions, and and I I relate because um, she said that she was born a cockeyed, cockeyed optimist, and she got it from her mom, and I uh, and I I think that I got I was also a cockeyed optimist, still am, and I got it from my mom, and um, so. I've always related to her and thought and admired her. How about you, Dr. Lori? Welcome to the program. Thank you. What Thanks do you think about Betty me. White? Oh, I mean, I love her. And I think everybody loves her. And there was this, I don't know, this joie de vivre and appreciation about life and and just the way that she talked about love and life and animals and just the joy. You could see it in her. And I think, you know, when we talk about decisions, I, I think before we even make decisions, it's sort of an attitude, right? And our aspirations. How do we want to be? What kind of life do we want to have? What kind of relationships do we want to have? Like knowing what that is. And for her... You know, there's a sense that there was this focus on, like you said, all of the the wonderful things about life, the wonderful things about people. And I know she wasn't so interested in hearing about the other stuff. You know, it's what you choose to focus on, who you choose to be with, the things you choose to do with your life. She made some great choices. She was also very fortunate. You, know, you think about the opportunity, opportunity she had in the TV shows, which the three major hits that I watched all of them. I loved all of them. You know, the yes, Mary yes. Tyler Moore show, right? Yes. Uh, Golden yes. Girls and, and and Hot in Cleveland. They were all so wonderful, and she was such a big part of those. And she chose those parts, right? She was lucky to get the opportunities, but also the, the things that she chose to work on and the way she chose to spend her time in life. I can relate Absolutely. to. Absolutely. Um, I, uh, you know, she, um, she, she turned down, uh, in, in the early seventies, uh, Betty's agent got down, uh, got a call from NBC and they were looking for a new girl for today and they wanted a girl with a golden smile for the job and all of that. Um, she thought about it and thought about it, but she said, no, she, her life was in California she, by that time. She was really already um, a prominent fixture on television, and they offered to fly her to California every week and put her up in a suite at the um, at the St. Regis Hotel. And you know, she said 
the final answer was no. It's not easy to see a grown-up agent cry, she said later. (laughs) Poor NBC got stuck with a gal named Barbara Walters, and they somehow managed to muddle through. (laughs) But she, um, she's always felt that the life that you live is 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 more important, has a more important place. That for her than the job that you're doing. And one of the many things that we loved about Betty is that she made life choices that worked for her, and she was able to live a life without regrets. And she says that. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> she made these decisions that worked for her. And um, conscious choices. Yeah, she knew how she wanted to live. She knew it was important. And she made those those decisions or or those choices consciously. They weren't out of fear. They weren't on autopilot. You know what you should do. They were very, very conscious choices and decisions, which is exactly what my book is about. But I know you work on living that way, too. And I do think it's important. So it's so easy to get caught up in fear, like, oh, I should do that. Or what happens if I don't do that? We stay in bad relationships or, or work in jobs up until uh, recently that we that we don't like. I mean that because of the great resignation, which I heard somebody call the great realization, like with, you know, oh, after COVID, yeah. people realizing, I don't want to live like this. Right? I want more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I read a, a wonderful quote from Ted Danson, uh, and it really expresses what we're talking about. We're chopped liver compared to Betty Danson, who has joined forces with White to support ocean conservation, takes lessons from her on how to live life. It's not like she's just a bubbly, joyful person. She wakes up every day and chooses to be that way. I think she leads a very purposeful life. I do, too. But she chooses, and she's very much in the moment and doesn't have regrets. My goodness, so many lessons there. Yep. And again, it's it's conscious, right? So we have... Many, many, I mean, many, many opportunities every single day. And I talk about this with my couples, too, that I see. You know, it's, it's not like we, we do the work and we're done or we, we know what there is to know. We have so many opportunities every single day where we have a choice. We can, we can go left or we can go right. We can eat a cheeseburger or we can eat a salad. We can avoid talking to our partner or we can, you know, open up to them. There's so many different opportunities and probably hundreds a day that we have and when we're conscious of what's important our aspirations how we would aspire to be or the life we want to have or the relationship we want to have we make much better choices and they if they're congruent with what we want you know what we choose to be and have we have a much more satisfying and purposeful life that's what she absolutely. did absolutely and really well and you break that down beautifully in your book and we're going to reflect on that in just a few minutes. Um, Dr. Laurie, have you seen the 2009 uh, rom-com The Proposal with Sandra Bullock, Bullock and Ryan Reynolds and Betty White, who stole the show? Did you see that movie? The proposal. You know, I saw it, but I can't tell you anything about it. Now I want to rewatch it. But tell me what what you're referring to. The, well, the yeah, I, I guess she's yeah. funny in it. Right? You know, I've I I've seen it twice on television because uh, 
they've uh, had reruns. And it's just, it's a wonderful film. And, um, and Sandra Bullock, who is, uh, has been close friends with White ever since the filming in 2009, she, w- she calls her a loving, decent, optimistic, inclusive, hilarious human being. Or, as Ryan Reynolds joked, a typical Capricorn sleeps all day, out all night, boozing and snacking on men. <laughs> I also am a Capricorn, so you know. I know I you are. <laughs> and is that you too, dear Lori? <laughs> well, it sounds good. <laughs> yeah, it sounds Sometimes. good. I know. But um, Sometimes, yeah. You know, Nobody she's ever celebrated. Said bad about her. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't well, think you find she, any he, negative thing about her. Yeah, usual. Yeah, that's right. Everybody, everybody. I just finished the quote from uh, from Sandra Bullock. Um, so she he she said she celebrated every day of her life with humor, kindness, and a vodka on ice, toasting the fact <laughs> that she's a badass who left us all in the dust. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I think that in the end. And um, people remember you as, remember you, if they remember you as a good person and how you made people feel, um, yeah. that's what we, I think we should uh, strive for. I mean, these are good things <laughs> to, uh, and, and yeah. to be in the moment, to be in the moment. Um, we could all aspire which, to be more like Betty White. Yeah. So I think mm-hmm. I think that would that would make her happy. It would the world would be a much better place. That's for sure. And I wanted to say before we leave Betty White that um, she even um, let's talk about sex and the older woman. Uh, so uh, she said um, she said you're never too old for sexual desire. She said this was a couple of years ago. She said I don't have a fella, but if Alan and this was. Alan uh, Ludden, who she was married to for 18 years and died 81, I think, of stomach cancer. But uh, they had apparently mm-hmm. just a beautiful marriage uh, and, and, and a sexy one. And so she said, I don't have a fella, fella, but if Alan or Robert Redford were around, we'd have a very <laughs> active sex life, she told AARP Magazine in 2010 <laughs> at the age of 88. Sexual desire is like aging. A lot of it's up here, and she points to her head. And we know that. (laughs) And that's true at any age. (laughs) That's true. It's true. It's true of any age, yes. 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 Well, there you go. Words of wisdom. More words of wisdom from from Betty White. I I just love her. A huge loss. Obviously, you know, she led a very long life and wonderful life. You know, wasn't it wasn't shocking on the one hand because, you know, she was ninety nine years old, so close to being a hundred. Um and yet you know, still a tremendous loss. It doesn't matter. It's still a it's still a big loss. But the fact that we had her that long and and so many wonderful ways we could experience her, and she was in all of the shows that she did, absolutely brilliant and hilarious. She could laugh at herself. I think Sandra Bullock has some of those qualities too. You know, um, as far as her yeah. comedic skills. Yeah, yeah, yes. Um, you know, and. Um, 
she 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 reflects on some of her fondest memories include friends who are no longer here and um but she really focused on the present and i i know we i think part of what we're going to talk about when we talk about your decisions for great sex and happy relationship is to be in the moment to be mindful she always focused on the present she takes her losses hard but she puts one foot in front of the other and you know the way she approached life is i'm still here i got to keep going and she always found the silver lining which she got from her mother and her mother used to always say and this, you know, it's been something that I've quoted. I didn't know it was her mother's original. But anyway, uh, the older you get, the better you get. Well, unless you're a banana. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I have not heard that. I like it. I'm going to have yeah. to adapt. Adopt. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, unless you're a banana. Uh, I mean, we do get we do get better in so many ways. We oh do my God! Yes, and experience and. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if we do it right, sex gets better. Life is better. Everything can be better. I mean, look at, you know, there are some things we have to deal with. You know, you don't get, uh, there's, there's the price of the lunch, right? There's no free lunch. Um, you know, we have to mm-hmm. deal with some of the, the things that happen when we get older. But if we take care of ourselves and we do it right, regardless of those, we'll just say obstacles or challenges, life and love can still get better and better. And something that you and I, since we're talking about humor and Betty White, um, yeah, you and, yeah. and it also goes with, with my book, but the things we've talked about, I think frequently, almost every time we talk, it comes up. We talk about fun. I mean, look at the name of your show, Love, Lust, and Laughter. Laughter, yep. it's an important part of it. Fun, humor, um, and when it comes to sex or just life. And when I think about, about my Alan, you know, my beloved who, who died yes, almost yes. a year ago, when I think of the fondest memories I have, they actually include laughter. Those are the, the first ones that of pop course. up. Like the times where we were laughing so hard and just some of the most, in bed and out of bed, the most memorable moments whether it's with our kids or our partners or just in life, the times that we can really just fully experience joy and laughter and fun and humor is so important in a relationship and in life. Uh, Cause even when things are bad, when we can look at the humor of it, you know, it just kind of makes things more easy. It makes things easier, easier to kind of, tolerate <laughs> and it really does if you can somehow bring forth some good humor in in yourself yep. and and look at it through um, um, a, a more comic kind of lens if you will uh, mm-hmm. what I could even say how would Betty White <laughs> handle this <laughs> well I'm sure she, she did she, that. Yeah, she would be in the moment, and she would find something funny, and she's likely, if we were going to talk about sex, she's likely to be a little body because that's how she was. <laughs> um, uh, Carol Burnett, let's see if I can find, I have. I took some notes about oh, some of the Another woman friends. I absolutely love. <laughs> yeah, Carol Burnett, oh, and, and she, she and Betty White were really close friends. And no Carol Burnett, 
said, and Carol Burnett's now 88, she was very body and very funny. Um, she, she'd come on my show themselves. and... What? Who said they could laugh at themselves? Absolutely. She'd come on my show, and if there was a tinge of risque humor in one of our sketches, she'd roll with it and make it even funnier and add a little wink to show that she was thinking of something sexy. That's <laughs> Betty White. She was body, and she, she played these sort of nice, like um, uh, in The Golden Girls, she, her character uh, was somewhat naive. But she was still body. She talked about her uh, her late husband Charlie um, in Golden Girls. I just love that show. I just love it. I know. I watched so it when good. it ran the yeah. first time, but I certainly have watched reruns because now I'm a Golden Girl myself, and and I want to be golden in my life. <laughs> you are. So. You are golden and diamond. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. <laughs> yes, that's true. Yeah, thank you. Well, you too, darling. You too. So let's thank um, you, and I am a golden girl too. Yes, yes. Well, actually, older than they. I think they were in their fifties, weren't they? During that show, when they, they first were in started, they were in their fifties. Yes, and yes. then by the even, time even she the got mother. to, what's that? Even the mother was only, I think, in her fifties. Estelle. I don't read. Uh, um, oh, yeah. Older, but. Oh, yeah. The mother. Um, yes. Uh, Getty. What was her name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, anyway, it, it, and then when with Hot in Cleveland, um, they were all in their 60s, and Betty was in her 80s. And, and even um, early 90s at the beginning. She even turned 90 during the show, too. And she I still, think that's right. And Wendy Malick, um, she's quoted, this, this is, she was one of the cast in Hot in Cleveland. When I met Betty, she was on the verge of 90. I was about to turn 60, and Valerie and Jane were almost 50. We were so fortunate to have a mentor like her to show us that it ain't over until it's over. Yay, Betty. Malik, now 71, says, I really do credit her with giving me the courage to go into my third act. Yeah, you know, ever for years now, ever since publishing two studies on aging and sexuality in the early 90s with Dr. Walter Bortz, I have studied successful aging and have taken it to heart since I've been <laughs> trying to do it myself, and I think pretty well. Um, Succeeding, I would say, yes. Thank you, and you too, you too. I mean, but isn't that the truth, that we need, we need mentors like Betty White, and we have the courage to go into our third act, maybe even our yeah. fourth act. <laughs> it takes some courage to see what's possible. You, see what's possible. So let's talk some about your book, 21 Decisions for Great Sex and a Happy Relationship. And I think you start the book with a question that I want to ask you so that you can explain it to our audience, and that is, why are decisions different? Maybe different from resolutions? I don't know. 
um, mm-hmm. or uh, decisions probably incorporate some intentions, but explain it to, to us, please. Why are decisions yeah, different? Look, this is, yeah, I, I think, you know, semantics is how we frame it. But when I think about a decision, you know, versus like a resolution, I'm going to go do something or um, a I I think it's more of a commitment. So first of all, if you're going to make a decision, it is essential, it's going to be a real decision, that you are clear, that's what I was saying at the beginning of, you know, the hour, really clear about what is most important. What kind of life do you aspire to have? What kind of relationship do you aspire to have? To know what that is and then, you know, you're clear about if I'm going to have this kind of relationship or this kind of sex life or this kind of life or career or whatever it might be, then how do you aspire to be? And and when you're really clear about what's most important and the things that you are focusing on, then it is that decision. And why I came up with this book, actually, the whole book, not just the title, but the book itself about decisions, is when I was working with clients, I just kept hearing when there was a major breakthrough or accomplishment or success, whenever that happened, I would ask them, what was it? Like, what what happened? I would pretty much always hear over and over again, you know what? I decided. And I kept hearing that over and over again. I decided that I wanted to be happy. I decided that I no longer wanted to suffer in that way. I decided that I wanted to feel better. There was a decision. And the foundation of that decision was that clarity about how they wanted to feel, how they wanted to live, how they wanted to be. And that is an essential part. And then the decision to make sure that it is a solid decision, it has to be followed through with commitment and action. Without commitment and action, you know, it's it could be a resolution, right, or a promise, but it is that commitment and action. And in my book, I write about the different decisions, and then within each decision, I do give suggested action steps. So I say you just need to make one decision to change your life. And it is true. One decision can absolutely change your life. So I decided I was going to move to Napa last year. Uh, so, okay. So yes. What and, does that mean? Yes. And I, I yes. want to hear about that because uh, Brian and I had a wonderful time visiting you last summer in Napa. Uh, you're just too. the best hostess, my goodness. And we had so much fun. But, yes, I think that we need to talk about um, you're moving to Napa. I don't know if you quoted Eleanor Roosevelt on the second page of your book, do one thing a day that scares you. And I don't know if moving to Napa scared you. Moving to Seattle, where I didn't know anybody back in August of 2008, so I could be a little closer to my daughter about to be married to a Canadian, was an example of uh, of something that scared me a little bit, not too much. I just because I've always embraced change and all of that. But how about right. you moving to Napa? Did that scare you a little? It was a big change. I mean, honestly, I have to say, probably not a whole lot of uh, fear there. Right when I right when I sort of you know lived by Eleanor Roosevelt's words, I. I found it very powerful. I wouldn't be who I am today. I wouldn't have what I have today had I not had really practiced that. Do something every day that scares you. And it wasn't like I looked for it. We don't have to look for it. There are always opportunities, things that feel scary. But when you live like that 
for many years, which I did, it no longer is an issue. You don't, it's no longer a conscious thing anymore. It's kind of like, it's just life as, as you know, life as usual. So it's, it's not like, do I have fear? Of course I have fear, but it's, it's never an issue. It's not like, Oh, this is, this is scary. I'm not going to do it. Uh, so or it's a little a bit, bit different. Or I imagine, can we say that again? I just said it's not disabling. You have the fear, but it's it's just a little bit one. The same for me when I moved to Seattle. I'd had so yeah, many it, other moves and changes and embracing change. But but in an earlier stage in your life, uh, Eleanor Roosevelt's words really did uh, oh. resonate for you. And you gave some examples in your book. Why don't you talk about some of those early decisions that absolutely – absolutely changed the uh, trajectory of your of your career i mean i could talk about that but i'm also going to go back to what we were saying there, there's come somewhat connected right and we talked about well, okay move to napa or your move to seattle we talked about we have so many commonalities you and i because we both yes, we decided at, at one point to move in a place that we were happy and successful in but decided to move to a completely different place where we knew nobody i knew not one person here so, and you, you know, your daughter was close by, but you didn't know anybody there. Like, what was it? Well, we were clear. And so again, they're connected. We were very, very clear about what we wanted. I knew mm-hmm. I wanted to be around nature. I needed more nature. People think I moved here for the wine, although certainly I do love the wine here. But it was more about the vineyards. It was more about me mm-hmm. wanting to be able to go outside my door and see beauty and experience beauty. And... There was just something I was just longing for. And I knew that, you know, I could go anywhere at that point. I, I, because of COVID, um, one of the sort of bright sides of it was I learned to work remotely and I liked it. And I knew I could live anywhere. And I thought, where would I want to go? And that was a place I've always enjoyed vacationing. And so mm-hmm. they say you mm-hmm. should live somewhere where you want to go on vacation. And so Napa was a clear choice for me and an opportunity to explore new things. I'm into food. I'm into wine. Napa is very much about a different, it's that lifestyle, which is very different than LA or Southern California. And so knowing what I wanted, and it's the same thing when you have fears about things. I was, when I was younger, I was, I'm not even that much younger. I mean, so even in my thirties, maybe even forties, but mostly thirties, really, really afraid of flying, like scared to death of flying, but much more Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I never didn't fly because I actually was a flight attendant, you know, a long, long, long time ago. But I I knew that it was that I wanted to be able to to travel, to go visit different places, you know, Italy, for example, or New York, anywhere. It's like that was much, much more important to me. So because I was clear about what I wanted and why it was important to me, that took over. It's like, okay, yes. Am I afraid to get on that plane? Sure. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I, mm-hmm. even now when I get on a plane, I just imagine, I just kind of close my eyes and I breathe and I imagine that I'm on, on like a big bird. I imagine like we're birds flying through the sky. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's not as scary anymore. But at that time, it, it didn't matter. The fear wasn't going to stop me because there was something that I wanted. And I think that's the same thing. So, you know, maybe there'd be an opportunity to, you know, to do a media event or, you know, talk to an audience to talk, speak publicly. Those things are really, really scary. But I knew that that was an opportunity for my growth, number one, 
those are the things, the things that are scary or uncomfortable is where we grow, but also that there was something there that was important to me, um, helping people, getting the message out, uh, you know, lending to my, my professional success. So ultimately it still comes down to what's most important and knowing what that is. And then all of the decisions we make moment by moment, even the scary ones are they congruent with, with what we really want in life, how we want to live, because we don't know how long we have in this life. And just, you know, there's a lot of people go, Oh, well, one day, yeah, one day I'll do that. Um, you know, well, maybe when this happens, when I have enough money, when I, when I have a partner, then I can do those things. And like, I say no to that. Like do it now. If it's something that you want to do now, maybe you can't like today go to Italy or wherever, but you can plan for it um, rather than waiting for something else to happen or waiting for the right time. And uh, it can be very scary, but incredibly rewarding. And then when we do those things, we grow and we become stronger. Um, we become the things that we want to be and live the life we want to live. And then it becomes more natural. So that's what I mean. It's like now it's, it's fear isn't so much an issue. It's just a natural part of my life to just go for it, basically, <laughs> to put it in some most simplistic terms. Go for it, you know. Go for it, and you've had experience going for it, and sometimes, I mean, this is true for me, too. You're right. We have a lot of parallels, parallel experiences in our lives, um, but to go for it takes some practice, and, you know, you might go for something and it doesn't work out, but my goodness, if you keep your eyes open, you'll learn and improve. You know, you and I That's both it. ask our clients who are experiencing loss, maybe it's a divorce, maybe it's just um, a breakup with a, uh, a significant other, but mm-hmm. what we ask, well, what did you learn from this relationship? Because failure yes. isn't, isn't so dominant when you can take away from it that you've learned some things and you've improved and you, maybe you know it's better how to, how to be in a relationship now. Yeah. We can't succeed without failure. So if we're not, if we're not failing, we're not, you're not dreaming big enough. We're not living big enough. It's, it's, a, mm-hmm. it's a very big part of it. I mean, even moving to Napa, a lot of my friends said, well, what if you don't like it? I was like, well, then I'll make a different decision. <laughs> you yeah. know, if I don't like yeah. it, then I'll do something else. But you know, it's, it, the, the fear of, of it not working or the fear of failing keeps a lot of people stuck. And you, like you said, there's always, there's always things to learn from. And, and I tell that to my clients when I give them certain assignments, you know, I'm like, don't worry. They may not go the way you want, but we need to talk about whatever happens. If it's a, if it's a success where, you know, it turned out the way you wanted or it felt really good, that's great. We can learn from that. And if it didn't, that's great. We can learn from that and it'll give us information to move forward. And, and that's what it is. You know, if we stay in that place of, of safety, of what we know, of certainty, then we don't thrive. And what stagnates dies. And we can do that. We can choose to live our life that way. And, you know, everybody gets to make their own choices. For me, that doesn't work. And, you know, again, if, if security and certainty and safety is like if that's where you're living from, which I could call that fear, um, but not necessarily, you know, that's, that's an individual choice. But I just think that there's a lot of 
potential loss there. Life can be so much greater and so much bigger when you take those chances, when you know what it is you want. You have to know what's most important. But if certainty and safety and security and comfort is most important, you're going to make different choices. Indeed. And, of course, so much depends on our childhood experiences um, and what kind of an environment we grew up in. And, um, you know, just as Betty White was so fortunate because she grew up with parents who really loved her. She was an only child. But her mother was a cockeyed optimist. It was, it was her, her mother who, who uh, encouraged her to, and her father, too, but to be positive, and there wasn't anything she couldn't do. And actually... Uh, well, this is going, I, I, want, I don't want to go too far afield here, but she was a trailblazing feminist in a lot of ways. She opened doors for so many women. But anyway, we, 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 we can learn from, uh, from our failures, and that's important. And, um, and I live near a fire station, so we get, you're, can, you're can you hear the, the, the sirens? <laughs> So, yes. What happens when you live in a city? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it it does. See, now you don't have any. It's so quiet and beautiful in Napa. So yeah, what you so you took a chance, and and you're growing from it, and you have all these new experiences, and you're happier in Napa because you love the out out of doors and the nature and. And the beauty, the lifestyle, and, yeah, and the lifestyle. Let's talk about the, and the lifestyle. It's really healthier, isn't it, than than L.A. I, <laughs> and even I some find, of the attitude. Yeah. Yes, I, I find that people here. You know, obviously it's a generalization, but you know, I come from Southern California, Pasadena, L.A. area, um, and my experience here has been that people are happier. They're more relaxed. They're really yeah. crazy friendly. And, you know, when I talk to people, I'm like, God, this is so friendly here. And they're like, well, we don't drive the, what do they call it? They call it the concrete highway. Um, you know, yeah. I, I, I don't drive freeways. People generally don't hear, um, you know, we'll drive down the Silverado Trail, <laughs> go somewhere, walk. And it's just, it's just, it's just easier. Um, definitely people here are into food and wine. There's a lot of that because that's a, a big reason that people move here but you know it's just um it's it's more of a small sort of a community and it's just people are more relaxed and i think we can all be more relaxed no matter where we live it's just easier when you're in that environment i mean even you know in la it probably um seattle similar although there's a lot of it's a walking city for sure pasadena was a walking city too but when we have yeah. to get in a car and drive somewhere and we have to deal with traffic um you know it gets to you like those kinds of things get to you and i know not everybody can move to the country or napa or whatever so we can create the kind of lifestyle we want even even with some of the challenges it's just choosing to spend time relaxing uh you know choosing to to do things that that bring you joy or be out in nature we don't always have to move so that's important and another thing well, wait, i just want to I just, wanna, I just want to comment here yeah. so if yeah. i go back to the year 2000 when when charlie um my late husband died so suddenly i remember after his death um my brother who's very wise and 
He's a Harvard graduate, but also a poet. <laughs> He's just got this beautiful wow. sensibility and writes beautiful poems. Um, but he said to me, you, Diana, you're so fortunate to be living in Hawaii, to be living in paradise, because just think, you could be grieving in um, a brownstone in uh, Brooklyn, and it would be a completely different experience. But you have all of this, the, the bright colors of the sea and the green, uh, the green, greeny, green foliage and the beautiful flowers and the birds. And so, and it was true. I could grieve fully. And I remember at the time, a girlfriend, uh, a doctor, offered me a, a Prozac, and I said, no, I, I want to experience this fully. And it is true, and I know I think this is probably true for you and Alan, and Brian and I knew you as a couple. We knew Alan. We loved him. But the deeper your love, the deeper the grief. And so, yeah. but, so I'm talking about two things here. One is we're fortunate if we can live in someplace beautiful, and and in the moment and be in even even in Hawaii, I could go in the ocean and there was some feelings about it being helpful. The kind of the aura of the ocean could help with grief. So I, I'm very grateful that I was able to grieve for for Charlie in Hawaii before a year or so after he died. I moved to Los Angeles, but yeah, so. Well, let's just talk about that. What you're saying, it resonates with me and I think probably the listeners where, you know, we can experience, you know, deep, deep grief and we have to allow ourselves to experience that. And, you know, I had, look, I'm not against antidepressants or whatever, you know, whatever people need, but my friend said the same thing. Oh, you should, because I was, you know, obviously um, having a hard time. You should go on an yeah. antidepressant. I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm experiencing pain because it's painful. I don't need, I don't need to, you know, block that. So I, it was important for me to allow myself to experience that. But like what you're saying, you don't want to get stuck there. You don't want to, you know, just live in that place of grief and pain all the time. And one of the great healers and equalizers, you know, at least in the moment is to find beauty. And we can experience deep, deep pain and grief and find beauty in our life, whether it's the love of friends or an ocean or a flower or a cat. I mean, my cat is mm-hmm. a big one for me, but certainly friends. I know. <laughs> Sophie is so cute. <laughs> Little Sophie. We can do both. We can, we can experience that pain. And there, there's beauty in the pain. One of the most beautiful moments in my life was the most painful moment in my life. And it was when I was in, I was in England. Um, Alan was British and we were, I was with his family, his mother and his sister and her husband. And we went to the, the place where they, they cremated his body and we were spreading the ashes and we were all standing there and his mother and I were clearly in, in, in a, a very deep, deep place of grief, like almost wailing. Like I've never felt that amount of pain in that intensity. But with, I remember just holding her and we were just really feeling our pain and weeping so, so deeply. And it was incredibly painful, obviously, but it was also incredibly beautiful. Which I don't even know if I can explain that, but it was one of the most beautiful experiences in my life. 
Well, it was a very deep, he came from a very Real. deep place. Yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah. it was authentic. So there was beauty and pain all at once. Yeah. And don't we learn also, we, we learn from our failures, but we also learn from our pain. And especially if we can go through it with some awareness, some self-awareness. And by the way, that's where we can help some of our clients to become more self-aware and to be willing to embrace the grief or the change or whatever they're dealing with, you know, changes. Yeah, can they, and sometimes, can they you know, we don't always do it perfectly or, yeah, the way that, you know, yeah. we say is what we think we would like it to be. Like, trust me, I had a lot of TV and food, you know, that was um, a, a way to avoid feeling and grieving. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But you know what? Sometimes, sometimes we're just not ready. But we just want mm-hmm. to be aware of it. It's like, okay, <laughs> I'm not ready, and I'm clearly avoiding feeling. And, you know, we can do that somewhat. But it's something that we don't want to continue to to act from. But we're all human. We all have our moments, and we you know we have moments where we're going to avoid. And avoiding is some of, one of the things that we know can be problematic because we don't allow ourselves to go through it. But at in, in little pieces, in some ways, it's important if, if we just aren't ready to handle it. You know, didn't Sigmund Freud talk about denial, which is a way of <laughs> avoiding? Is mm-hmm. our is our primary self defense mechanism? I think he said that. Yeah, well, and even um, Elizabeth Kubler Ross, who talks about the stages of of death and dying, yes. and grieving, talks about denial as being one of those too. Yeah, yeah, it's um, so, denial is the first one. <laughs> that's, that's right. Denial. That's right. We need yeah, to then anger, then bargaining, are. then depression, then acceptance. Yep. I mean, yep. but now, That's yeah. Exactly so, it. It's not linear. And, and actually, we, you know, we, we'll go to, we'll get there, then we'll go back. So <laughs> it happens. It's a roller coaster. And actually, this might be a good time to talk about, there may be people listening who have experienced a lot of loss because of the pandemic. So they're yep. experiencing more anxiety and depression. And, um, I just, we should talk about that and also talk about how there is help available, um, even for people that don't have insurance or, uh, you know, a whole lot of extra money to spend on therapy. Uh, there are, there is, there is help available out there. And I, I think it can make such a difference for people to, because they're, they've had so much loss and, in order to move forward again, the losses have to be addressed. The, as, as the Buddhists say, the, I think the Buddhists say it, the only way out is through. You've, you've got to go through it. That's right. If you're going through hell, keep going, as they say. But it's, it yeah. is true. You can't just get over it. You, you can't avoid it. it. It's going through it is where, is where we gain our strength and that's that's a good point that you're making. There are so many resources. I know there's community resources, but you know what? There's also friends and family and books yes. and podcasts, <laughs> right? So there's, there's yes. lots of, of great resources out there. And, 
you know, to sometimes ask for help or seek help is, is a difficult thing all in itself. And even though it's hard, even though it's scary, the choice to do it is something that I think ultimately will get you through to the other side and it's worth it. The choice to do it. So we're, we're actually, we're swinging back to your book. Um, (laughs) And these are, yeah, people, people should get your book because it could really help them make some of these decisions if they're in a real transition period because of the, the pandemic and losses that they've had. Um, and, of course, in my show notes, I'll put this mm-hmm. up, 21 Decisions for Great Sex and a Happy Relationship. Uh, they can get that book on your website or Amazon. Tell me, tell me how they can get your book. Um, all of the above. All of the above. And I will okay. say, I do have a YouTube channel also called Stuff of Love. And what I'm mm-hmm. going to be starting actually this week is a series addressing some of these decisions and action steps. So that's what I'm going to be focusing on this year. And there, there will be an offer in there, a link that they can choose that they can get um, my book for, for free. Uh, so that is an option as well. So, uh, you know, Stuff of Love, it's on YouTube. I have a channel and I'm going to be talking about all of these things that they can do throughout the year. So all my videos are going to be focusing on that. That is my focus this year. Oh, that's a great resource. Uh, yeah. Can people find it with on YouTube? I'm a little bit dense in this area. Uh, just by going looking for stuff of love or can you send me the link so I can put it in the show notes? Yes, both. Um, so I'll send you the link, okay. and you could go to uh, you can go to YouTube. You can either look up my name, but I think it's better because I've I've some old ones in there. If you just look stuff of love, um, exactly as it sounds. Uh, so to be able to yeah. find that, and you can and you can get that. It's free, and I've got you know I think almost seventy videos on there now, all about sex and relationships. But like I said, I'm moving starting this week for the new year. I really want to focus on specific decisions and action steps you can take that will improve your relationships and your sex life. So I'm excited about oh, this that. This is a great resource. This is so timely. Thank you. <laughs> so, You're welcome. Uh, yeah, I'm excited about it. I really am. Yeah. That's what I, I do mean, it's, you know, it's, a lot with my yeah. couples. But, you know, not everybody can afford therapy, um, couple therapy. So, that, you know, I want to, just like the reason why you do this podcast, be able to give you know, good information that everyone can have access to. And it's such an important part of, of I know what you do and what I do in our work. Well, yes. I mean, we're in this because we're in this work because we have very deep commitment to, to helping people change and, and improve, learn and improve. And, and uh, so, you know, it, a lot of people my age would re- have retired. I have colleagues who retired, and oh, I don't plan to as long as I keep my marbles. And I think that that's going to happen. <laughs> well, by keeping your marbles, you keep them, right? <laughs> keep them. And one reason yeah. um, that I'm keeping them is that I have a lot of fun in life, and and you have chapter three in your book is all about play and fun, and. Um, you start the chapter with a quote from Plato. You can discover more about a person in an hour of play than a year of conversation. So true. <laughs> and and <laughs> I remember this I about you. 
some years ago. I'm always amazed and saddened when couples tell me they can't remember the last time they had fun together. I remember you're saying that to me in person, and it's so, it's, it's, it's been integrated into my first session uh, for a couple. Uh-huh. When was the last time yeah. you had fun together? Yeah. yeah. Then you could ask this of yourself, you know, you absolutely. When's the last time you have fun? Um, and, and, and not a day goes by that I don't have fun. Honestly, not a day. Even if I, I don't and, see anybody. <laughs> yep, yep. And and also the laughter, which you mentioned at the top of the show. And, um, yeah. yeah, I feel very fortunate because um, Brian and I get to get with our Living Apart Together arrangement, uh, LAT. We get together Wednesday nights and so tomorrow night. He's here, and then I go to his house on the weekends, and we just have so much fun. We also have hot yep. sex, but we have so much fun <laughs> and laughter and laughter. And, you know, it, uh, I had some health problems last month, and so did Brian, and part of our healing was relating to each other, massaging each other. Uh, having gentle sex first and then <laughs> moving on to what we're used oh. to. <laughs> it, it mean, you know, it sounds yeah. wonderful, right? And and I know yeah. it. I mean, like, you know, I've told you this before. I'll yep. say it again. I, I see it, you know, and I love being around you too and, and seeing that and experiencing it. And it's, again, you know, a demonstration of what is possible. And when you when you live it, and you experience it, it, it's much easier to talk about and help people understand what is possible. And I think we don't get that message enough. We get more messages about, you know, what aging is horrible or marriage. We just, we hear all of the things that are wrong and all of the things that don't work. And it all sounds really so, so bleak, but the truth is it can be so much more if you, one, believe that it's possible, and then, two, know it's what you want, and then, three, actually make those decisions and, and do the things that give you all of that joy and happiness and love that you're talking about. And it's exactly what your podcast is, Love, Lust, and Laughter. Oh, thank you, Lori. There you go. <laughs> it says it all, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it does. And... um Boy, I just, I love having you on as a guest. I mean, we've known each other a long time. I think think about 20 years, I think. Uh, Yeah, 20 years, yeah, 20 years at least. And when I lived in Los Angeles, uh, I remember you came for dinner, um, and and we just, and we've, and I was on your old podcast back in the aughts. And, uh, yeah, and then since I've had this program, we've been on it several times, and I want to have you back for a part two, and I'll talk with you off the air, part two in terms of this conversation. Um, and, well, and moving on. And there's so many things that Dr. Laurie can talk we'll about. We'll just call it et cetera. We'll just et cetera. Oh, that's a good idea, et cetera. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. There's always more to talk about. I could talk to you for hours, and we have. And I, I do love seeing you. It's fun to hang out with you and do girly stuff and laugh and, and experience, again, your relationship with Brian is so lovely to, to witness. It, it just brings me joy, and you bring me joy. And you're an amazing human, therapist, friend, woman, all of the above. I just love you dearly. Oh, my goodness. And Well, you back know, at you, dear girlfriend, honestly, back at you. That is that's Thank very, you. very sweet, uh, Lori, for you to say all of that. And and I, true. you know, there, there, as we get older, well, as I've gotten older, and this has been true for me for perhaps the last 25 years, I'm much more selective about who I spend time with. Um, and some of the people that I used to spend time with have died because I'm that old. But, but, mm-hmm. um, but you know, you're more, you're just, you know, you don't, certainly with my illness last month and, and my husband's too, when we were both down at the same time, that was, that was really unusual, but it, mortality was in the mix and yeah. It's, it made me grateful so much. You've got to take advantage of the day <laughs> and what you have and, and, and uh, just make the most of what you have. And, it's a better uh, way to live. It's the optimist thing you were talking yes. about. I was just talking with a couple this morning. And, yes. you know, and we were talking about that. It's like we focus on all the things we don't have and all the things that are wrong with you, with ourselves. You know, you're not, you're not going to have the kind of relationship or life you want. Like, what about all of the things you do have? What all the things, yeah. you know, your partner, your partner brings? Focus on those things, not to say that we ignore the things that, you know, that are problematic or that, you know, need to be improved. We want to address those things, work on them, but also being able to live in that place of, of gratitude and you know appreciation it means a lot we can be much much happier in our relationships if we did that for sure absolutely Lori. there's no question about it to, to focus so many people do that and i must say that many many of these people are fairly materialistic where they're focusing in too much on what they have or what they don't have and what others have or don't have. And that's not very productive, nor is it very healthy. To look no. at what you need, in, and I'm talking about singles now too, what you need and what you want and not, and not being so focused on the material stuff. Um, frankly, yeah. that's one reason I left Los Angeles because – you know, I'd, at that point, I'd been a widow for several years, because Charlie died in 2000. But there were so many narcissistic, wealthy men in Los Angeles, but they were too entitled and, and yeah, narcissistic. And we, we both know Priorities that... Priorities were probably not in the right place, let's put it that way. Not in the right place. And we know that narcissism... Is is a difficult is difficult to change, um, and but yeah, anyway, that's maybe well that's, in a relationship. maybe the, And what did you say? The last thing I said it doesn't work well in a relationship. It it doesn't because 
for instance, if somebody is dating and and a real red flag would be for somebody new, does he ask you about yourself? Is he interested in what's going on with you? Is he curious? Can you be vulnerable with him? Maybe not so much on the first date, but you can open yourself up. And uh, But if he doesn't ask, if he only talks about himself, boy, is that a red flag. He's probably a narcissist and... I wouldn't uh, yeah, want to have a second date. The first, the first date, you know, you can give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he's nervous, trying to impress you. Not a good way to go. But, you know, sometimes you can give <laughs> yeah, him yeah. the benefit of the doubt. But if that continues, <laughs> it's like, oh, that's not a good sign. No. Not a good sign. Well, well this has been um, a fun conversation. It always is with you. Um, I'm going to... Um, suggest again that people get your book 21 decisions for great sex and a happy relationship maybe you can even get a free book by going to what is it going to the youtube and yeah so the, um, the that that will be available this thursday which will be the 13th so january okay. 13th um check it out that is when i am launching this series of decisions and have better sex and a um well great sex and a happy relationship so that that gets launched this thursday and there will be an offer there for the book and an offer there uh, and another thing i love about you laurie is that you are ambitious i mean you really get you know ways to get your excellent word out <laughs> and all of your wonderful ideas and uh yeah i love you laurie buckley I love you too, Diana Wiley. <laughs> it's always a pleasure speaking with you, and I so appreciate you having me on your show. It really does mean a lot to me, and I hope I've been know. able to Thank help you. some people. Absolutely, and I'll be in touch with you about part two very shortly. Okay, Lori. Everyone, take care. And thanks, Bye. thanks to you, and thanks to everybody listening. And let's uh, do the very best we can to make the beginnings of 2022 extraordinary. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye, Lori. Bye.